Husbands Talking More or Less is brought to you by the Cage Club Network for all things media, movies, music, comics, and more. Check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. everybody i'm nico and i'm kevo and this is phoenix.html and dear god it's almost over the bird is starting to run on fumes that's for sure yeah when we started this project it was because i'm just a huge old gene gray fan and kevo loves superhero movies and it just made sense to explore all the different avenues we could to see the many iterations of one of my favorite stories the dark phoenix saga which originally ran in the uncanny x-men volume one from 129 to 137 although the build-up to it had begun as early as uncanny x-men 100 wow so i'd been so excited to take a look at all these different iterations so far we've taken a look at x-men the animated series it's phoenix saga and dark phoenix saga storylines we've taken a look at the original x-men trilogy and the second x-men trilogy we are here today to discuss the phoenix apocrypha much like we did on x's for podcast the series where we take a deep look at the uncanny x-men comic book franchise starting with giant size x-men number one and make our way forward through the misadventures of marvel's merry mutants you can only imagine how many times i've said this we decided to take a look at everything dark phoenix that we could and oh god it just kept getting worse yeah, no, for real. There wasn't really a lot that we could still look into, but enough of it was disappointing, for sure. Today we're going to be taking a look at an episode of the animated series Avengers Assemble, which somewhat mirrors the events of the Phoenix Saga. We're going to be taking a look at a handful of Wolverine and the X-Men, an animated series from 2009, as well as two whole goddamn minutes of the Wolverine that featured Famke Jensen in so much eye makeup, I really had to question if it was her or not. No, I recognize that performance. Woof. Then we're going to be taking one last look at the Dark Phoenix saga before it comes out, via the incredible number of trailers that have been released that seem to showcase like five minutes of the movie. That said, the reviews are starting to pour in, and poor was the right choice of words. Uh the general sentiment seems to be that Sophie Turner does a great job, but she just can only do so much with a pretty miserable script. One review described it as the story was probably scribbled on the back of a napkin after a diner dinner. Ouch. This is really dismal and disappointing, but I'm getting off the beaten track. Kevo, is there anything you want us to know before we dive deep into this apocrypha? No, not especially. Well... Then it's time to do it. Let's get this bird in flight with the story that has absolutely nothing to do with the Phoenix Saga. When Kevo brought to my attention that there was an episode of the animated series Avengers Assemble that featured a vaguely Phoenix-like plot, but instead of the Phoenix Force, it's Galactus and the Power Cosmic, and instead of Jean Grey, it's Iron Man, and instead of the Shi'ar... It's the Guardians of the Galaxy, and instead of the X-Men, it's the Avengers. How is this anything like the fucking Phoenix Saga? 
It's really staggering how one episode of television can get so many things completely wrong. This episode came out in April of 2014, so that was right around Captain America the Winter Soldier. I don't think Our Guardians of the Galaxy had come out yet, had it? That was August 2014. And that completely completely reinforces one of the things I thought as I watched the entire episode. The likenesses are all based on the Marvel Comics likenesses, not the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I think this is probably to avoid having to pay the actors for the use of their images, and it led to having the characters be a little bit more in line with their comic book version. Hawkeye was a lot of fun. Star-Lord wasn't incompetent. Groot was horrifying looking. And unbelievably powerful compared to the films. Yeah, Groot is pretty godly in that regard. That was pretty great to see. Hopefully we'll see something more like that from him on Guardians 3, but we'll get back to that when we return to mcu.html. Another major flaw that this particular adaptation suffered from was an overabundance of male agro-testosterone-driven nonsense overpopulating this animated 20 minutes with more dick-crossing and piss-streaming. I... Oh my god, not to mention, the only female character in the entire goddamn thing was Gamora. The Avengers were Captain America, Iron Man, Hawkeye, Thor, Hulk, and Falcon. The Guardians were Gamora, Rocket, Groot, Star-Lord, and Drax. There was one woman in this entire 20 minutes of animation. What the fuck? You can't even hope to pass any sort of test that tests the metals of your feminism if you don't have... Two women! You fail from the get! And I guess the question that I am left asking is, why did they even go out of their way to reference X-Men and Phoenix canon? The plot is that Tony leads Galactus away from Earth and helps him feed on the planet Dabari, but it turns out that Dabari was about to go nuclear anyway, so lol, we defeated Galactus, and we evacuated all of Dabari anyway, so they completely removed the teeth from the concept of using Dabari in the first place. So why even bring it up? There was really no reason to use Dabari. I guess that just made it a cute nod, but it's such a big deal blowing up Dabari and having a superhero gain a cosmic force that is used to devour a planet. And it was just really disappointing. I have so little left to say. I... I give this two chicken nuggets out of a possible ten Phoenix chicken nuggets. This just gets two cosmic birds from me out of ten. I don't think this gets any cosmic birds from me. And not only that, it exemplifies why I'm not especially interested in these animated series. It was cute fun, sure, but if this episode that we watched was any indication of the rest of the show, it's not anything that I'm interested in. So the next thing that we're going to cover is the animated series Wolverine and the X-Men, which ran from January of 2009 to November of 2009 for only 26 episodes before it was canceled. This was the third major attempt at animating the X-Men on TV, or at least American television. There have been some really interesting, fascinating anime takes on the X-Men, but this was the third American take. And the first one was X-Men the Animated Series, which seemed to be an attempt to somewhat decently and cohesively apply Claremont stories to one recognizable cast of X-Men. 
next iteration was X-Men Evolution, which was kind of like, I don't know, it was kind of like a, a mutant named Scooby-Doo. And it was like, they tried to make them kids, and everybody was hip and young, and Mystique was their principal or something. And it just, it was fine, but it's very much what it was. There's a very minor flash of the Phoenix in the series finale. It had been intended to be a next season plot when the show was cancelled. This show seems to want to strike some kind of middle ground between the two. It is the X-Men as adults, but the canon is so fucking weird. Yeah, I'm not really sure what version of the X-Men they're trying to portray. Like, Charles could totally be the original animated series, or even comic Charles, but there's no way this Magneto is anyone except for Ian McKellen. Wolverine seems to be some sort of blending between the original Wolverine and the Hugh Jackman one, but like extra sexualized for no reason. This version of Wanda and Quicksilver and Lorna as Magneto's henchmen, it sort of calls back to the days of the Brotherhood, but it's a little bit closer to a strange period in the late 90s where there were a series like Magneto Rex and a bunch of other strange Magneto minis where he was president lord king mutant over high lord of genosha and it's just so strange everybody seems to just be thrown into this nobody really had a personality what do you make of the fact that this series was developed by writer craig kyle who we've mentioned on the show before as the creator of x23 and having worked in the thor film franchise well craig kyle has also worked extensively in the comics and that's come up on x's for podcast Craig Kyle wrote many runs of the X-Men, whether it was a run of X-Force, new X-Men focusing on the students. He has had a prolific impact on the Marvel comic universe. If for no other reason, he was given the opportunity to bring X-23 into the comics, having created her for the previous series, X-Men Evolution. He gets to use her again here. It was nice to see her pop up, but he watched episodes 1, 20, and 23 through 26, and Laura appeared once, didn't speak. Oh, but there's four of her. Yeah, is that anything from the comics? I know there's other X-23s like her in a later run. She had some phenomenal runs by some incredible writers, and she took on the codename Wolverine for a while, and I do believe there were other X-23s running around at one point. Sort of the same thing with the Winter Soldier. We're mostly just looking to watch any footage that there was of Jean in this season, because there wasn't even a ton to begin with. It's really odd that I feel like this has so much more focus on Jean than we've seen in many of the X films, and yet she still seems to have almost the least agency. She barely speaks in a flashback we see of Charles retrieving her from her home, which he brings Scott with him for. That's really strange. Also strange that they completely changed everything! So it turns out, the Phoenix is some sort of psychic plague that affects mutants since the beginning of time. And the Hellfire Club are a secret organization dedicated to eradicating this threat. It's not a plague. It is an entity still. But the fact that you made it this thing that infects telepathic mutants going back 3,000 years, that's... You know, it's funny because there are things about this that make it more accurate than other adaptations. I appreciate the fact that they returned the Phoenix to being a cosmic entity that was separate from Jean, but it also removed any of the elements of Jean's psychology that played a factor. Her own dark side 
and her own power are huge elements of why the phoenix force is attracted to her and that's just sort of not really considered here beyond the fact that emma frost is a member of the hellfire club who once again exists to eradicate the phoenix and there's like cave paintings of a giant bird and i just don't even understand where they got the idea for this hellfire club this is like a much later version of the hellfire club and the stepford cuckoos are there i just no i know no this no no i don't know no 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 and they try to house the phoenix force together and then when it leaves their bodies they're all left in jeans dark phoenix costume for absolutely no reason yeah it's just not good it's just not good and then the end result is so emma's been backstabbing the x-men all along to try and get this for the phoenix when things start she's already a good guy and with the x-men but it turns out she's been working for the hellfire club all along and she saves Jean by taking the phoenix into herself turning into diamond form and then the phoenix exploders her everywhere and it's just like rain and diamonds y'all it's insane it's absolutely insane And they're literally covered in Emma's remains. And they're all just kind of like hugging because it worked out. And there was not a second season of this. And all the while this is going on, there's this big Magneto plot where he's unleashing the Sentinels on the world. And that's literally going on while this is going on. But there's also a Days of Future Past storyline going on where Charles is trying to communicate with them in whatever time period where... They're trying to get the Dark Phoenix away from Jean to be like, you need to trust Emma. Like, there's three or four different plots going on at the same time. It's all very confusing. The very end, they introduced the Age of Apocalypse, having had Mr. Sinister try to create Cable, secretly serving Apocalypse, and having also turned Archangel into Archangel. And Marrow's there, and she betrays the X-Men to the Sentinels, and Magneto has replaced Senator Cal- Like, it's every story! And there's no room for the Phoenix. A really succinct example of how I feel about this animated series as a whole would be its opening sequence, which the first time we watched an episode, I literally thought that it was just a scene. So when everyone posed at the end, I laughed out loud. And it wasn't until the second episode that I realized, oh, the sound mixing on this is just terrible. These sound effects are way too loud. The music is way too soft. It was the opening credit sequence the whole time. And it wasn't that it was bad. It's that it just wasn't quite done right. The art on this animated series is great, but the way that the characters move isn't really eloquent at all. The only thing that I think I really appreciated from this was they sort of referenced the psychic rapport between Jean and Scott, and there was an element of that was the reason that they couldn't get too far into Jean's mind. That was pretty cool, and this is probably the most openly I've ever seen Jean cuck Scott with Logan in front of other people by the fact that she, like, blows him a kiss while she's in the middle of fighting with Scott. Over Logan! They're fighting about Logan! Yeah, and, like, super, super uncomfortable. Alright, all said and done, I'm... I give this zero out of five spicy Wendy's nuggets. I cannot with this. I actually, this time, probably give this two, maybe two plus one of the ones that was clearly at the bottom of the bag, so it's not, like, great, but technically it was a nugget, so you can't complain. And it's, like, a bonus nugget. They usually give you another small one on top of that, so you get six instead of five. Yeah, because they feel bad, but in this case, it's, you know, just the two plus the nub. So it's, like, it's, like, a breading nugget. Yeah. 
just like a turd nuglet. Just two final parting shots before we make our way to an overall review of everything we've talked about leading up to The Dark Phoenix, which comes out this week. The Wolverine features two scenes with Famke Jensen, and she just, like, I get that it's Jean, and the first one she seems like not really Jean, she seems like an evil manifestation of what Logan might believe Jean would say to him, and then when she appears later in the film, she's in this beautiful white room, and there's sunlight pouring in, and I imagine she's supposed to represent the white hot room and the white phoenix of the crown here, and... That's some really specific Phoenix lore, but you can check out a little bit more about it if you'd like to understand it a little bit better by checking out our third and fourth episodes of our Dark Phoenix crossover, which would be episodes 21 and 22 of X's for Podcasts. There you'd be able to find out a ton of information about the White Hot Room and Jean Grey's powers as the Phoenix. I don't know. There was just really nothing for me to glean about Jean from this. It was just a way to make the Wolverine not a bomb. And like... The only representation we do get of Jean is vaguely insulting. She's, like, pouty that he won't come join her in heaven and, like, blames him for her death and then just sort of walks off. Bye. Like, I, I, it wasn't even worth including in the film, and I, from what I remember watching the entire film, it really just distracts from the narrative. The whole involvement of Famke Jansen in the film is less than five minutes, and when the film itself is 126 minutes long, to give a character who is in so little so much focus and so much important in the narrative is really insulting to the rest of the story, in a way. And speaking of reductive and maybe not true to the story, Marvel published a video online for a kind of teal deer shorthand of the dark phoenix saga you can watch it but i personally feel it's hyper reductive and removes dozens of elements and instead of simplifying a number of them it simplifies them in a way that makes them technically inaccurate and i just can't figure out why despite really loving the animation on this video and i love the humor and i love the style i really enjoyed the production of it and i understand that you need to change certain things when you are reducing a hundred plus page comic book arc down to a three to five minute video but you can do that in such a way that still remains faithful to the story itself the whole point is to make this the best version in the shortest period of time purposely changing details just you know defeats the purpose I guess there's nothing left to do but to take a look at the major adaptations one last time. In X-Men the Animated Series, we got a five-part Phoenix Saga followed by a four-part Dark Phoenix Saga with a handful of episodes reintegrating Jean into the story and somewhat explaining where she'd been. This was in many ways the most faithful adaptation while being nothing like the Phoenix Saga. Which is just fascinating. It really is. On the whole, this is probably the best of the bunch of all the animated series in live action, if you're looking for something that really closely resembles the comic book, take a look at this interpretation. Note, she doesn't die at the end. That kind of makes it weird. She should be pretty dead, but, you know, she survives. And that changes the core of the story. So for as much as I am happy to praise this one as the best of a bad bunch, it's still kind of the best of a bad bunch. 
Now, that is not to say that any of these movies are necessarily terrible or unwatchable, but as far as adapting the Phoenix Saga goes, falls flat for me. That's a no for me, dog. <laughs> and I mean, at the very least, you can understand why they would want to remove the grimmer elements from a children's television series. This was like the dawn of children's television still, and people were figuring out the limits of how far you could push that sort of storytelling. And in 1992, we certainly weren't at the same level as even Avatar The Last Airbender. So it's understandable. Other franchises don't really have the same excuse, though. We're talking PG-13 level films not really going all in so far on what really is the Phoenix. Or at the very least, if you're going in on the violence, you're not going in on what the story is. You seem to be allowed to have character or drama, but not both. To move to the next major adaptation of the Dark Phoenix Saga, that brings us to X-Men 1-ish, 2, kinda, and 3, which sucked, and was not a great movie, was really not fair to the Phoenix, and that is one that I will go on record as saying, this was not great. Whether or not I like the other films, as far as adapting the Phoenix goes, that's an unrelated statement. I objectively don't enjoy X-3, The Last Stand. It's a mess of a film that introduces way too many unnecessary threads, and took several films to correct. The only thing that I am able to now have a begrudging respect for X-Men The Last Stand over, having finished all of the other Phoenix adaptations, is at least it is less muddled than Wolverine and the X-Men, which just had way too many plots going on. I was pretty critical of the fact that they were trying to do Dark Phoenix and The Cure and just too many things all at once, but it's nothing in comparison to four major storylines going on at the same time. I guess if I'm going to have to rate the X-Men film franchise, the interpretation of the Phoenix is going to have to be better in the second half, and that's not saying a lot. The first two films of the reboot of the X-Men franchise don't feature Gene in any capacity. Then the third one just, just goes all in on Phoenix. Just doubles, triples, flipples, quintriples, septiples down. But once again, it's too many things going on at once. They're trying to do a Phoenix Saga story, and they're trying to do Age of Apocalypse, and they're trying to do stuff with Magneto and his kids. It's so many things all going on at the same time that Jean barely even gets any screen time or story focus before she's suddenly manifesting the Phoenix. And it's treated like a plot device that is her only characterization. She's just getting more powerful. That's not the same thing as Jean Grey being the Phoenix and having agency or purpose or character integrity. And she deserves so much more and so much better. And I'm going to say it one more time. My favorite interpretation of Phoenix, 100% Sophie Turner. I don't have any issues with Famke Jensen's performance. I think she did the best she could with what she was given. But I'm so far very impressed by what Sophie Turner is bringing to the role. Even if I don't care for some of the script elements, I feel like she's trying to play the character with emotional integrity. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Okay, so here we are, Dark Phoenix. Uh, we've seen a lot of trailers. I think my biggest question about Dark Phoenix right now and all the footage that we've seen and everything is I just am not sure. 
I'm still not even entirely sure what the plot of this film is going to be or what surprises are even left. I, you know, if you're listening to this by now, I'm sure you've watched every trailer and every single trailer seems to suggest that Jean Grey is going to kill the fuck out of Mystique. Why would you put that in every single trailer? There's no surprise to that. Like, I can't, I'm, I have to imagine she doesn't. I have to imagine either we think she doesn't, she doesn't, or she kills someone else and it was a misdirect. Otherwise, what is this marketing department doing? Do they just not care anymore with this being the last movie? I love a lot of the things you bring. I mean, I agree with you completely. You know, I agree with you completely. And you bring me to a couple of questions I have. Now, you might want to turn the episode off if you're looking to stay spoiler free. Though technically, the things I want to discuss aren't spoilers because they are things that are not in the movie. Number one, Jennifer Lawrence insisted that Simon Kinberg direct since Brian Singer would not be available for the project. And that's, number one, very interesting to me that she said she would only come back and do it if it was Simon Kinberg. Not sure what to make of that, but at least it was someone who's had how many years of this franchise? At least like 13, if not 20. So for that, okay. For that, great. Number two, Wolverine was originally intended to be in this film, but it was determined by Simon Kinberg that the age gap was a little too creepy with how young they were setting Gene. (laughs) So fine. You know what? Fine. I don't know how you could possibly, but fine. If it keeps Wolverine from doing the slow-mo stab again, I'm good. Yeah, the last thing that I would have wanted to see was 50-year-old Hugh Jackman skewering the shit out of a teenager. If I wanted to watch somebody try and stab Sophie Turner, I would just watch Game of Thrones. (laughs) So, now, that brings me to the point of spoilerage. They had to delay this movie to refilm the ending because the ending was too closely tied to another Marvel film, and they couldn't have known. And... Ultimately, it has come to light that the bad guys of this film were going to be Skrulls. Ooh. It makes total sense. Fox owns the rights to Fantastic Four, or at least did at the time of producing this film. And the Fantastic Four are where the Skrulls originated, so it was just the studio borrowing a villain from another property. Not unlike when the Marvel Cinematic Universe borrows villains from other properties and loans them to people. The Marvel Netflix universe just kind of traded villains back and forth. It was really awesome. (laughs) I am left very sad that as of the time of this recording, Dark Phoenix has over 40 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and has an average score of 15%. (gasps) I'm not really sure what to make of that. I thought you said 40 earlier, not 15. Oh, wow. Yeah, but that's that had been my fear, honestly. Something that I did think was interesting is Simon Kinberg himself has come to the defense of the last remaining Marvel Fox-verse movie that we know of with New Mutants. He has clarified that absolutely the reshoots have not taken place yet. And the reason he can say that is because Fox is terrible at scheduling reshoots. He went on to say that Fox is nowhere near as good as Marvel is at scheduling reshoots in advance. And when you sign up for a Marvel movie, you're told... Four months later, you have to come back. This is just straight up what it is. But they didn't build that into the New Mutants schedule. So all of the delays have been because all of the New Mutants have not been available at the same time. 
That does say a lot about the differences between these franchises and perhaps why one is more successful than the other. It sounds like Disney, you know, considers variables and the necessity for something like reshoots and Fox perhaps would rather you just have it done. You need reshoots? Fuck. Uh, we'll see. We'll get those scrolls right out of there. The next time you hear from us, we'll have seen Dark Phoenix, and it will be the final chapter of the Phoenix.html experiment disaster, and we will be taking a brief sojourn back into the MCU to give you guys all the endgame and Spider-Man Farfig Newton you can possibly handle. And you know I can handle a ton of Spider-Man Farfig Newton. So, Kevo... Until we come back to burn away what doesn't work and and retire this poor, poor, poor character, where can everybody find you online? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Kevoreally, K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y, and you can find me managing the Facebook page for this lovely show at Official HTML or Husbands Talking More or Less on Facebook. You can also find me, especially in this wonderful Homo Pride Month, producing and sharing and reveling in the amazing wonderful extremely fun superhero comic that we produce kid riot over at kidriotcomics.com or kid riot comics on facebook where can people find you nico you can find me all over this here great network on shows like now and again where along with my childhood best friend chris podcasts we take a look at the now that's what i call music collection Currently taking a deep detour into the Carly Rae Jepsen discography. You definitely don't want to miss that. I'm also on X's for Podcast, where I take a look at the Uncanny X-Men comic book franchise with Kevin and my boyfriend Jonah, as well as my best friend Kyle, and a multitude of others now. The thing's gotten huge. It's amazing. It's been so incredible. You can also find me on social media at NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. All right. I just like I just like feel like the life draining out of me with sadness at that 15% and I just can't get past it. But until we come back to blow up the mansion one last fucking time, we'll see ya. Cock, cock. See, that's the caw that I was expecting on the other show. Yeah. <laughs>